1 again. The Bible says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, the throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper, and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. Round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. The first beast was like a lion, the second beast was like a calf, the third beast was, had a face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Let's pray. Father, I pray tonight you would use your word to challenge us. Lord, as we look at the, the events that will unfold one day here in the near future, I pray that we would just not just get a big head of Bible prophecy, but Father, I pray that your truths would sink down into our hearts. Not, Lord, I pray tonight that we would leave closer to you, more determined to live a holy and pure life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you come to Revelation chapter number 4, you will find a word that is used many times in this chapter, and in this, really the book of Revelation, is the word throne. And everything that unfolds in the book of Revelation is, uh, is because of the throne. Who sits upon the throne is the Lord Jesus Christ. And John has just been caught away to heaven, and uh, the rapture has taken place, so the church has been removed from the world, and uh, the church has now been brought up to, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, by the way, when somebody dies, I, I think about last week, uh, we, we, uh, there was a little confusion, but when somebody dies, their body is uh, buried in the grave. Uh, this past week, we had a funeral, and uh, Miss Vera Prince, her body was laid in a casket, and, uh, and that was her resting place. But the Bible says to be absent from the Lord is to be present with the Lord. When a believer takes his last breath, uh, he immediately is with the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, if somebody does not know Christ as their Savior, the Bible says in Luke 16 that the rich man uh, died, and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment. The Bible did not say the rich man went to a holding cell. It didn't say he went to purgatory. It didn't say he just went to the grave until judgment. But no, he woke up in hell. And, and so the rapture has taken place. And the, dead, or the church is reunited with the Lord. And the bodies are reunited. How that takes place, I can't explain it. It's just what the Bible says. And, uh, and, and there the church is in the presence of our Savior. And John said, as I entered into the presence of God, as I entered into heaven... He said, he begins to give his description of the throne room. And, uh, you know, the reality is there have been numerous kings that have had beautiful thrones. Solomon had a beautiful castle. He had a beautiful throne room. If my memory serves me correctly, uh, I believe he had 12 lions that were decorated there uh, surrounding his ivory, uh, his ivory uh, throne. And just a place of beauty and splendor. I think about there in the Egyptian world. And, and uh, those pharaohs that died, they would be buried with great wealth and great which, uh, riches. And, and their faces would be encased with, the, with the, all that gold. And, and uh, boy, they would die wealthy and they would be buried with all their riches. But as, as John enters into the presence of Almighty God, as he enters into the throne room of God... 
all the kingdoms of this world pale in comparison to the throne that John beheld in this passage. He says, as I entered there, verse number two, he says, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Let me just say, John's attention was not, uh, was not on the angels. It was not on the river of life. It was not on the street of gold. It was not on the mansion that Jesus went to prepare for those that know him as their personal Savior. But when John entered into, the, into heaven, he was fixated upon the one who gave his all for him on the cross of Calvary. And can I say, dear friend, this evening, when we enter into the presence of our Savior, it's going to be all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, I'm thankful for the river of life. I'm thankful for the tree of life. I'm thankful for the, the beauty of the, of the foundation of the great city. I'm, I'm looking forward to the mansion that Jesus has prepared for me. But let me say, when we enter into the presence of God, it's going to be about the Lord Jesus Christ. And John said, as I entered his presence, he said, man, I was overwhelmed by what I saw. He said, I saw the Savior sitting upon the throne. The first thing one will do when they enter into heaven is to look upon the Son of God. It says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Uh, that love him. Uh, as John was writing this passage, you understand, his vocabulary was very limited. He was dealing with hey, his, his viewpoint. And uh, boy, the things that he is trying to describe, it's uh, like, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he's, or 2 Corinthians, he said, when I went to the third heaven, he said, he said there were things that I saw that I couldn't even describe, I couldn't even utter them. Uh, the words in the vocabulary that John had and Paul had uh, did not adequately uh, explain what they saw. But John gets to heaven and he's looking at the throne. He's looking at the Savior. And would you notice here as he beholds, beheld the throne, notice he was focused, first of all, on the sitting son. It says in verse number 3, or verse number two, and one sat on the throne. Who was the one sitting? It was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Psalm 11, verse four, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. Psalm 47, verse eight, God reigneth over the heathen. God setteth upon the throne of his holiness. Psalm 97, verse two, clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. Ezekiel chapter number one, and verse 26, it says, And above the firmament that was over their heads was a likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was a likeness as the appearance of a man above it. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire round about within, from the appearance of his loins even upward, and from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and had brightness round about him. Hebrews 1 verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 12 verse 2, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which death so easily beset us, because we're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ, when he finished his redemptive work, the Bible says that he sat down and he's there in heaven right now and there John, the beloved apostle, is fixated upon the Savior, the Son of God, Almighty God, sitting upon the throne. But notice it says there that one sat on the throne. Let me just say, Jesus is not the Lamb. He is no longer the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, but now he sits as the judge of all the earth. And remind of that verse where the Bible says, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The throne room that John beheld is not a typical throne room like we would think of the United States of America. If you get to the privilege of going to jail or uh, you get the privilege of going before a courtroom setting, uh, you know how it is. Uh, Judge Judy, right? Or whoever is on television, right? And uh, you see the desk, right? And uh, there they sit with their black robe, right? Their gavel in hand. And you've got the bailiff there. And you've got the defense table. And you've got the prosecutor's table. And you've got the section where it's a jury of your peers. And you've got the spectator's uh, section. And you've got the court reporter. And uh, if you are convicted of a crime, if you're accused of a crime, uh, then as a United States citizen, you have the right to have a trial. Uh, and and uh, the jury of 12 will decide your fate, jury of your own peers. But that's, the, that's different than heaven. Listen, it's not, you don't, if you die in your sin and you end up in Revelation 20, uh, you're going to stand before the judge of all the earth and you're not going to have a defense lawyer. You're not going to have your preacher. You're not going to have your parents. You're not going to have your friends. You're not going to have your things that you would think of as your defense lawyer. You know you'll stand before Christ all alone. And Jesus Christ is sitting as the judge. He's sitting, getting ready to deal with mankind because of mankind's rebellion against him. He's sitting, he's the throne in uh, Revelation is mentioned 61 times, but here in this chapter, it's mentioned 14 times as a place. It's a central theme. It's a central focus here uh, of, the, of this passage. Jesus is judge and jury. You will not have a defense lawyer with you if you stand before the Son of God. So we saw, we see the Son is sitting, we see the Son is the one that's sentencing. But notice in verse number 3, we see the Son in His beauty, He's a special Son. It says, And He that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardin stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. It begins to give the description of the one sitting upon the throne. It gives three different descriptions. He talks about, uh, He looks like a jasper. Uh, over in Revelation chapter number 1, Jasper is clear as crystal. And uh, probably in our day and time, we probably would say that would be a diamond. Um, something that would resemble that. And uh, by the way, when John was writing, um, man, he didn't have all the technical terms. And truth be told is I may be wrong, all right? And uh, I just read a bunch of different commentaries and their thoughts on, the, on these different gemstones. And that's what the majority of them say. But uh, truth be told, Jesus could have invented a different, you know, a different gemstone. We just don't know for sure. But, but from what it seems to indicate, it would be kind of like a diamond. And then he says there, he says, not only is there a jasper, there's a sardin stone. A uh, sardis stone is, is, is red like a ruby. And, and so there's the clear crystal, there's that diamond, there's that ruby. And then he says, and, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. The emerald is nice and green and, and uh, turquoise. Oh, I think it's turquoise. Whatever it is, it looks like it's pretty, right? Emeralds are pretty, right? And uh, that's surrounding the throne. Is turquoise green? I don't know. Okay, I, I, don't, I don't know all that stuff, right? But you ladies know what I'm talking about. Emerald's green, right? And uh, it's, it's like you're flying to the Caribbean, right? It's nice and warm and you're going on that vacation. And, or you're going to go preach like Christy and I. And, uh, you know, man, you're flying over and there's that, you know, that, that ocean, right? That's what it says. That's what it's looking like. Beautiful, right? 
And uh, and so what 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 are, what are those gemstones? What do they represent? I uh, think about how they represent this how special Christ is. Uh, these these stones, the jasper and the sardine stone, uh, they were to be worn on the breastplate of the priest. In Exodus chapter number twenty eight, as Moses received the commandment of Christ uh, from God about the 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 priest's office and the priest's garments and their clothing. Uh, God, said, or, uh, God said to Moses, the breastplate of the priests are to have their 12 different gemstones. The first gemstone was to be a, um, was to be a, 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 uh, a, a jasper, and the last stone was to be a sardin stone. Uh, it represented Reuben as the firstborn and Benjamin as the lastborn. So what was Christ saying by, by the colors that were described here? I believe he was highlighting the fact that Christ is the first and the last. In Revelation 1, he highlights how Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the so be it, the amen, the truly, truly. Uh, Jesus is the authoritative figure. He is the one that sits upon the throne, rightly so, and he sits ready to judge. Uh, I think about not only as we think about that as a whole, but I think about these different stones bro broken down individually. A jasper, we could say, or a diamond. Uh, what's significant about that color? I think about what it means. I think about what, how it's precious. I think about when uh, Christy and I were madly in like, right? And uh, now we are madly in love, all right? But you know how it is. We were mad. I, I love you, right? And we were puppy dog, right? And so she convinced me, go buy a diamond ring, right? So, you know, there I am, and I go down to the, you know, the jeweler and uh, plop down 1600 bucks for a ring, right? It was wonderful, right? And uh, didn't have to pay sales tax, so I got a deal, I guess. But, uh, man, I popped that money down, and I bought those, that diamond ring, had the main one and two on the side, I think, and some other ones, I think. And it looked really nice, right? It was beautiful. And uh, you men know exactly what I'm talking about. You ladies are getting mad, right? But you men know exactly. You bought, you bought something, right? Signified your love. Uh, I bought it around Christmas time, and my dad, I asked my dad, I said, can I propose? He said, no. Nah. He said, wait a little bit. You've been dating for just a couple months. I said, all right, so I brought that ring back with me to college. And I had it in my backpack, right? And I would go to work, and I'd have my, the ring with me. I'd go to class, it was with me. Everywhere I went, I had that ring. Why? Because I didn't want to leave it in the dorm room. Somebody might walk in, because we didn't have locks on the door at the time, and could walk in and take it, and man, I would lose my ring, right? I didn't want to leave it in the car, because somebody could break in and steal it. I wanted, I wanted it with me at all times. Why? Because it was precious. Let me just say something. The Savior is precious. It says there in um, 1 Peter 2, verse 7, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it says, Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious. Let me just say something. There's nothing, there's nobody like Jesus Christ. Listen, you can stack all the world's religions. You can stack, stack all the deep theologians and all the deep philosophers and thinkers of the day, but nobody compares to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is precious. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious. It says in 1 Timothy chapter number 6, in verse 15, which in his time he shall show who is a blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Let me say Jesus Christ is precious. The jasper represents that diamond, that something that is precious. The sardin stone represents the, the red ruby, right? That represents the fiery holiness of God. I'm reminded of that verse there in Deuteronomy 4, verse 24. Our God is a consuming fire. 
And boy, you think about the, the, the fire that burns, the, the fire of God. Our God is a consuming fire. John sees he's precious. He sees that he's an all-consuming fire. But I think about the rainbow, that green rainbow there surrounding the throne. Uh, perhaps as John beheld that, as he looked at that rainbow, maybe his mind went back to that day when Noah got off the ark with his family. God said, Noah, he said, here's the promise I'm going to make to you. I'm not going to destroy the world with a flood again. I'm not going to cause it to rain and overflow the world. What was God saying? I believe God was saying here in this passage with the rainbow being present was, I'm a God that keeps my word. And let me just say, friend, this morning or this evening that earthly friends will prove untrue. Doubts and fears will assail. One still loves and cares for you and he will never fail. Jesus never fails. God's word never fails. Heaven and earth may pass away, but Jesus never fails. Listen, your family will let you down. Your friends will let you down. Your co-workers will fail you. People will not keep their promises, but thank God that there is a, uh, there is a God that will not lie. Titus 1 verse 2, God who cannot lie uh, will keep his word. And there surrounding that throne was the promise of the, the green rain. Rainbow. I think about what a rainbow is. A rainbow is circular in nature. A circle symbolizes perfection. A circle is not a circle if it has divots and uh, elongated edges. It has to be equal all the way around. God is fair and holy. He does not change for anybody. You say, well, preacher, I've got these credentials attached to my name. I'm sorry, but God's a fair God and he's a just God. And he holds the just balances of the weight in his hands. And he will declare the correct sentence. Everything that God does is holy, righteous, and just. And God is a fair and holy God. He does not change for anybody. He holds the just balances in his hands and sets ready to deal with mankind. John says, I saw the throne. And I saw the beauty that surrounded the throne. Look at verse number four. It says, Round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. I was taking a test yesterday. I didn't realize this, but uh, as I was going through the book of First John, I was doing some homework on it. And uh, one, of the, one of the questions they asked was, uh, what does the word presbyteros mean in the Bible? Greek word, right? And it means shepherd. It means elder. It means leader. That's exactly what takes place here. The people that are there, here, the 24 elders, you say, who are they? They're shepherds. They're leaders. They're elders. What were the elders? They were the elders of the church. They were the leaders of the church. Uh, Paul wrote to Titus, and he talked about the, the qualifications for a pastor, for an elder. And by the way, elder, pastor, spiritual leader of the church, right? They go hand in hand together. And, uh, and, and, and there is... There's not the, the the Bible says that that Titus and Timothy they were they were leaders of the local church they were pastors we would say today and uh, and, and so who are these twenty four elders man they are they are the pastors of the church age uh, some people have said well as I was studying this I was uh, different people had different thoughts on it and, and one of them, somebody somebody threw out one of on a blog by the way best place not to get a sermon is on a blog all right. Because, you know, blogs, is anybody can get up and say whatever they want, right? But people throw out different thoughts and everything. And one person said that the 24 um, representatives here were angels. Let me just say that's not true, biblically, all right? Because the Bible says that we're going to judge angels as believers. And the angels are not going to uh, be over us. And, uh, and, the, and the proclamation later is they overcame him 
by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. The angels were not saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. They were, they were saved from wrath when they made the choice back when the, Satan said, follow me. Uh, those that were condemned to condemnation were those that went with Satan. They made the wrong choice. And uh, those that are with Christ are those that, that made the right choice to follow him. They're not angels. And by the way, they're probably not, I don't believe they're Old Testament prophets. I believe they're the New Testament local church leaders. And uh, they're there gathered around, they're, they're gathered around the throne. And so what are the elders doing? The elders uh, were representatives from the church age. The church is in heaven at this time in verse number four. Notice what the elders are doing there. It says in, 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 in verse four, And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting. Uh, they, they were sitting. Understand these elders, they were putting their stamp of approval upon the judgment that was to come. They were, not, they were saying amen, and they were not critiquing the Savior. If you've ever had the privilege of sitting before a panel, uh, I think about the, if you get called to testify before the, um, in D.C., right, they will, they will watch you and they'll grill you, right? And they're trying to, sometimes they're trying to get you to fall and stumble, and they're trying to get to the end of, of the questioning and the purpose behind it. But uh, these, these elders that are surrounding the throne, man, they're just there shouting, shouting amen. They're there worshiping the Lamb. They're there, and their purpose and their goal is to exalt the Savior. They're not there critiquing, but they're there sitting, saying amen. What are they wearing? It says, in, I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. Uh, that white raiment represents the holiness of God, the righteousness of the saints. They were clothed in that pure and white robe. And uh, boy, I tell you what, when I get to heaven, I want that pure robe. I want, I want to be, I know we're righteous by the blood of the Lamb. I know our, all our sins are taken away. But I want my robe to be extra white. Man, I want it to be holy. I want to be conformed to the Savior. They're, they're wearing that white raiment. And notice it says in verse, at the end, it says, And they had on their heads crowns, notice it's plural, crowns of gold. Uh, you go through the Bible, and, uh, and there's, there's different crowns that we as believers can earn. There's different rewards that we can earn. The Bible says that um, Proverbs 11, verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, and he that wins souls is wise. And you go out and you win people to Jesus Christ, there's that soul winner's crown. And there's that, there's that, there's being that faithful steward. I think about Paul in, uh, where is it, in 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy 4, I believe it's verse number 8, where he said to Timothy, he said, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. Let me say, Christian, you can earn the crown of righteousness by looking forward to his appearing. What, what was Paul saying? By the way, we, 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 I love that song, Must I go in empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? You know, what a convicting thought is that I could die and stand before Jesus Christ and have nothing to give him. He gave his all for me on the cross. I want to give, I want to give something back to him. I don't want to stand before Jesus and have a bunch of wood, hay, and stubble. No, I want gold, silver, and precious stones because our works will one day be tried. <clears throat> and the Bible says the fire will try every man's work of what sort it is. By the way, you may, I may be preaching for the wrong reasons and one day stand before Christ. And it may be a beautiful sermon, eloquent, and boy, you know, boy beautiful to the team, but it's a sermon of wood. And boy, it'll be, the fire will try it and it'll be nothing but ashes. Boy, I may preach a message and it'll be a complete flop. 
but me being dependent upon the Lord, and it's that gold, silver, and precious stones. Hey, your motives will be tried. Your motives will be put to the test. But man, there's the crowns that we, we, we want, to want, want to get. And so there's a crown of, of anticipating Christ's soon return. By the way, Jesus is coming. And because he's coming, we need to heed 1 John 2, 2. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. What was Paul saying to Timothy? Timothy, you want the crown of righteousness? Then you live like Jesus to come back at any moment. That means you get up tomorrow and you walk with God. You, Tuesday, it's not an option to serve Him. You serve Him, lock, stock, and barrel. Well, you're an ambassador for Christ. Then you just plug away and, and your mindset is He's coming. He may come today. He could come before I'm done working. He could come before I get home. And boy, I don't want to be ashamed that is appearing in this kingdom. He focused on the fact that He's coming again. That's that crown of righteousness Paul was talking about. Not only is there the crown of righteousness, but it says in... Um, it says in James 1 verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Uh, there's, a crown of, there's a crown that we will receive if we endure temptations and trials and struggles. I think about, the re I think about where young people, and really this whole generation is. Uh, we are tempted and tried all the time. Uh, I think about how the temptations are, are out there. You, you got an iPhone, you're, you're walking around with the temptation. Uh, the, the pornography is so rampant, the, the relationships on social media so rampant out there. I've talked to teenagers, boy, youth rally, uh, may all, but boy, preacher, I'm struggling with this right there. Is that battle that's raging? James said, man, you endure that temptation, that trial. May you receive that, that trial, for, that, that crown for enduring. Enduring under stress. It was also talking about James writing to those Jewish believers that were that were scattered abroad. Those believers that were uprooted from their homes because persecution was taking place. Thank God for our nation in which we live. Thank God for the freedoms we have. But man, over in Iraq and Turkey and Iran and Egypt and Saudi Arabia, believers are being slaughtered because of their faith in Christ. We, they call this also the martyr's crown. Boy, the trials and temptations. Listen, you give your life for Christ, boy, he'll, he'll reward you when you get to his presence. Not only that, but 1 Peter 5, verse 4, says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a, a, crown of, a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Uh, this is a crown reserved for, uh, I, think, I think it's just reserved for, uh, it's for the pastors, for the shepherds, for the leaders of the church. And, um, and there's that crown of glory. And there are different crowns that we will one day get if we live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see here in this passage, in, uh, in verse number four, and they had on their heads crowns, plural, of gold. These were men that were faithful, and they had these crowns. And, uh, and so uh, the, there are two different kinds of crowns in the New Testament. Uh, there is the diadem crown. We sing that song, it talks about the diadem. Brother Perry, what's that song, diadem crown? Brother Chris, you know what I'm talking about? Number one, all right? That's what exactly what it is. Crown him with many crowns, is that it? And uh, whatever it is. But the diadem crown, that, that is a crown that is, uh, that, that is a royal crown. Um, that this, this crown was for royalty and for those that were supreme. Uh, they were the, the Nero's. It was probably what Pilate would have worn. Um, when, um, remember when Jesus was crucified, they took the crown of thorns. And what were they doing? They were mocking him. By placing those thorns on his brow, hey, you say that you're the king, prince. Or you, you say that you're the king, uh, the, the 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 king of of the Jews. Hey, we'll give you this crown, that diadem crown, reserved for authority. But there was also another crown, and that was called the Stephanus crown. 
It's like Stephen. That's where Stephen comes from. Stephen means a crown. And, uh, and what was that crown? That was a crown for those that would run a race, that would finish a race, that would compete in the Roman, uh, the, Roman um, the Greek games. And uh, boy, they would finish their race, and the winner would get a, uh, they would get a laurel wreath. You've seen it in the Greek mythologies where the, that royal, the, 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 the laurel wreath was on their head. That was a, a, cr a crown that one got that was the victor's crown. And uh, what were these, were these elders wearing? They were not wearing the diadem crown, but they were wearing the, the, the victor's crown. These elders had fought a faithful fight, and God rewarded them for their obedience. And so we see that the elders sitting upon the throne, what were they doing? Man, they were just, they were relishing the Savior. They were, they were fixated upon Christ. And boy, they were looking back at all that God had done for them with that praise and gratefulness and joy. And, uh, and so all that to say this, all right? We're just about done tonight. I want to summarize it with this, all right? We, we've looked at this passage, all right? We've looked at the Savior surrounding the throne. We've looked at the jasper, the sardine stone, looking at the Savior, the rainbow round about the throne. We looked at the elders, and they're wearing their white, white raiment, their crowns on their heads. Here's, here's two things I want you to take away tonight is this. All right, number one is this. And really it's tied in, I guess, I guess three things. Number one, is Jesus precious to you? Is he, is he, is he valuable to you? We, we say we love him. And one day... For all those that know Christ as their Savior, we're going to be in His presence and we're going to worship Him and we're going to praise Him. And, and He's going to be precious in heaven. He's going to be the center of heaven. But I wonder, is He the center of your life? Is He the King of kings in your life today? Listen, examine your heart. Lord, are you number one? Or is there something between my soul and the Savior? He needs to be precious. Number two, are you living a life so when you die, you will receive a crown? Are you, are you living for the Savior so when He tries your works, your works will come forth as gold that is tried in the fire? Are, are you an individual that is, that is living a holy life conformed to His image? And then number three is this. Are, you, are your garments white? Are you, are you living a pure life? Are you living a holy life? The things you're watching on television, the, uh, the music you're listening to, the things that you're involved in, are they representing the Lord Jesus Christ? Listen, Revelation, John saw this firsthand. And many things that he saw, boy, it was hard to put into, into words. But Revelation, and the purpose of Revelation is not just to give us a big head about things to come. But, boy, it's to motivate us to live a holy and pure life. So that way when we see him, we'll not be ashamed before him at his coming and at his appearing. And so let me encourage you this week. Live a holy life because Jesus is coming again. So let me ask you, anybody have any questions tonight? Pastor, what about this? What about that? Listen, I don't, how many of you ever played that, that game, Stump the Dummy? You know what I'm talking about? Listen, I don't know, I don't know all the questions, but if you, if you have questions, um, come and ask me and uh, write them down and I'll try, I'll try to figure it out. And by the way, there are some things that, boy, you go back and forth on and we cannot be 100%, this is, you know, I, I don't know if Sardin, if the, the red, the ruby, hey, it may be a different stone that John just was like, I'm just trying to grasp to describe it. We, we, you know what I'm saying? Um, and, and a lot of times as he's describing different things, John's saying, hey, I'm trying my best to, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to put it into terms we can understand. But if you have any questions, please stop and say, hey, preacher, what about this? 
and uh, we'll try to uh, try to answer it. But is he precious to you? Are you wearing the white garments? And are you living a life so that way when you die, hey, you'll hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, I, I can't wait to be in your presence. Lord, I, I like living. I love, I love life. I, I love every day getting up and doing stuff. I, I enjoy being alive. But Lord, I can't wait for heaven. And I, I want to echo what John said at the end of Revelation. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I pray be tonight. I pray the trumpet would sound. Call us home, Father. Uh, but Lord, if, if, you, if you tarry, Lord, I, I don't know why you would. I, I, I just, we're ready for heaven. But if you tarry, Father, I pray today that we would live a holy life. I pray that we would live in a life in line of the rewards that one day we'll, we'll be able to enjoy at your feet. And maybe wear the white, white robes. Father, we just need your help. I pray that you be precious this week in our lives. May you be valuable. Lord, we love you. Thank you for first loving us, dying on that cross for us. And uh, Father, I pray for our church. Please purify us. Lord, I don't, I don't want to be a church that's lukewarm and indifferent. Lord, I want to be a church that has a touch of God upon it. I want to be a church that, that just is making a difference for you. And, and I just ask, I'm asking you, Father, to purify your people. And the Lord, allow us to make a greater impact for you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's make a difference for Christ this week, all right? And uh, so good to see you tonight. And man, I'm, hey, I'm glad. I don't know where everybody came in, but Brother Perry, we need to sing again those same songs, man. And uh, so good to see you tonight. But uh, let's all stand together and um, be praying for the wedding this week with uh, with Perry and Trina and Chris and, and Sandy and Chris and Emily as they tie the knot. And I guess you guys become related somehow. So we'll be praying for you guys. But uh, Brother Eddie, if you would uh, lift up your voice, close this prayer tonight.